Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. This is a preaching podcast, in case you haven't guessed that already, uh, where we'll look at the text, talk about them, and also we offer up a special musical offering. Our conversations will surround the lectionary for Reformation Sunday, uh, which include Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28, and the Gospel of John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Shall we start with Jeremiah? Sure. Okay. Uh, I can read that one. Sounds good. All right. Jeremiah 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I, was, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Yeah, when I when I think of the relationship language that gets put into verse thirty two, um, mm-hmm. sometimes I feel you know weird about it because I think we also try to put like stereotypical gender roles into the mix. But if we think about healthy relationships um, and balanced relationships, often people come into the relationship wanting two different things or expecting two different things, um, or mm-hmm. a lot more than two different things, <laughs> and and I think. I think to say that the the covenant felt difficult um, for the people of Israel would be at the very least accurate, you know, um, and mm-hmm. and probably to admit that they were looking for something different. You know, they got into the promised land. They're like, yeah, so now next is a king, right? And God's like, no, <laughs> but they, but they yeah. have this tension. And, and, and so I think that that in terms of relationship, they were wanting very different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's one way I think to redeem some of that relational language to it's rooted, not in I'm the husband, I'm the boss. You need to listen to me. Those are the the gender roles that we're going to assume, but it's much more the focus as I read it is about faithfulness, that I am your husband, we're in this together till death do we part kind of a thing. Mm. Um, And I think that's where we get, like, I think a lot about that language of no, uh, K-N-O-W, that everyone's going to know God. 
there will be no teaching anymore because everybody's just going to know. And without that relationship and falling into those ugly quote unquote gender roles, I think that no can just be like, you need to know my rules. Everybody's going to know my rules. And admittedly, that's how I've read this text for a long time. That's just what it sounds like. Everybody's going to know what God demands. But no is about relationship. It's about knowing who God is and not even just on a, like a list on paper, but about knowing from experience. And part of me asks, wasn't that happening before? Mm -hmm. Or at least wasn't that the intention before, you know? It already seems like a close relationship uh, was wanted in the, the husband imagery uh, that we have. It seems like that was already kind of the intent. So how is this different? What's, what's coming up? Yeah. What does it mean for verse 31 to, to talk about a new covenant? Because the, the territory feels odd or treacherous. Mm-hmm. In terms of supersessionism or something like that? Well, trying not to be, you know, like the words are there, so I got to figure out what to do with them. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it is either. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, for me, what I like about that language of new covenant is it comes at you so unexpectedly mm-hmm. that you have, we have this covenant, we made promises to each other and God says uh, especially in like the in Deuteronomy, if you break this covenant, either I walk away or bad stuff and or bad stuff happens to you. Crops fail, enemies run over you, and that's a lot of what uh, the interpretation and the experience of the exile was. We turned our back on the poor, the widow, the orphan. We followed after other gods. So God just gave us up and let Babylon and before that Assyria roll over us, and. What I like about this passage is you broke my covenant and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a new covenant and we're going to do this again. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I think that's there. I think the, the texts immediately before talk about, you know, God dealing with each individual. Um, so, you know, everyone who eats sour grapes shall set, uh, shall have their own teeth set on edge, you know, like, uh, the, I think, I think the, the idea of, of dealing with everyone and mass, uh, is starting to fall by the wayside. Like God deals with both the individual and the corporate at the same time. Um, and doesn't confuse the sins of one with the other, you know? If there's a terrible leader, the terrible leader uh, will receive justice. But maybe not the whole country, you know, but if the whole country decides to go a bad way, they'll receive justice. Maybe not just one person. Yeah. And to to see that justice as being part of God's faithfulness to us, Mm -hmm. like God's never going to walk away from us. Uh, And we get that in some of the following verses. I think 37 is really good for that about how, you know, the entire earth could just fall away 
you know, the seas could just disappear and yet God would still be faithful. The Israel would still be God's people. And that doesn't mean that God will bless injustice and wrongdoing and all of that, but that God won't forget it. But that's what love looks like to not allow that to go on. Yeah. I don't know, I'm still stuck on that no. I think that that's really important. Especially when we equate, I mean, if, if you want to take advantage of Reformation Day to talk about works righteousness, that knowing God can turn into works righteousness if you understand it very quickly as knowing all the right rules or knowing the right formula of what to say and the right things to believe, the correct creedal statement to recite or something like that. But it's about something deeper. It's about knowing and trusting that God is with us. God is faithful toward us and in relationship to us. Yeah. I think the relational part of it, um, I, I too think the relational part of it is key. And, and again, understanding that it's not necessarily a command to be followed with, like you said, a checklist, but it is an invitation like, hey, you should get to know this person. But even that won't be necessary because the relationship will be there. You know, like I, I think this idea of mm-hmm. no longer will they have to say to one another, know the Lord or get to know the Lord. Um, it's going to be more like we know the Lord. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's an announcement that there's going to be a whole lot of investment in the relationship. And this announcement seems to be coming from God and not just a demand of God towards other people. Mm -hmm. But to say there's probably a good counterweight here, like this, this idea of like, there's going to be a great relationship coming forward is wonderful. And we could just kind of leave it at that. But maybe it's good to have a counterbalance saying, and that relationship is probably still going to have its own, own tension because, Hey, it's a relationship. That's not the part that's going away, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be a a pastoral comfort if you want to take that route in preaching. To say that there's nothing that we do that so much of it depends on God. So therefore, like when people are worried, did this bad thing happen because I didn't go to church enough or because I'm was a bad parent or because I because I because I and to to emphasize that no, God is faithful to you and it doesn't depend on how much you deserve it. Yeah. I think that pastoral move is, is pretty necessary. I, I run into a lot of people that kind of have this, this thinking of like, either I'm going to be able to do the things that God wants me to do, or I'm failing in the relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this text points to that. I think we can try to shape it into that where we, if we ignore the tension of natural relationships, then, you know, we come to understand that there might be some magic there. But like, I think God is dealing in, in relationships just like everybody else deals in relationships. You know, um, I, I think God exists in our brokenness. All right. Well, Dan, do you mind if I read the uh, second lesson? Sounds great. Cool. 
Uh, second lesson comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Hmm. <laughs> How do you feel about this one, Dan? It's not great to preach on usually. I mean, I guess you can. It's just kind of hard to follow if you're just sitting and listening, which is not unusual for Paul's stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're just sitting in your pew and hearing all of this, it kind of feels like word salad. It can. I think there's a lot of jargony language that either a lot of people aren't familiar with or we are hearing it in a very different context that kind of requires some definition. Righteousness, justification, redemption atonement it's like lots of ten dollar theology words forbearance forbearance yeah and so i mean i guess if you wanted to do more of a teaching sermon on this you could go through and say well what exactly is justification what is righteousness how do you feel about what paul's saying paul's himself like once we get through the definitions like the, the larger point of justification by faith? Uh, I think the larger point that, yeah, that, that Paul's trying to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's good. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, thinking of the context of all of this too, where you've got a church that's now seeing different people gathered together, in this case, Jews and Gentiles, having this question about what does it, mean to be a Christian? Do you have to convert to Judaism first? And how do we live together and all of that? I like that this text sort of cuts through all of that and says, look, it's not about trying to justify yourself and who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. Because in the end, we all do it wrong and God's the only one that does it right. So here we are. We've all been justified by grace through faith. So if you wanted to get into the history of it, I could see preaching on this in a little bit of a 
non-traditional way to talk about how this grace is a gift or a building block of unity, of bringing the church together. Uh, that could be a roundabout route to go. I think the idea of grace as a gift is really important. Mm -hmm. And I think the understanding of gift giving is also equally important. To be able to say that giving a gift to one person uh, or group of people in this case does not negate the work that God has done and the promises that God has made for another group of people. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times we, we, we as Christians um, have had a history of reading this saying this gift supersedes all other gifts. This gift is above all other gifts. And while I think this gift is for all people, I don't think it necessarily supersedes God's work in the past, nor was it meant to. Um, I mean, we have in verse 31 of that same chapter, do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On contrary, we uphold the law. The law isn't going away. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could stick with uh, verse 21 also about the righteous of God has been disclosed apart from the law and is attested by the law and the prophets. So sort of along those same lines, the law doesn't go anywhere. The law reveals who God is and what God desires. Mm -hmm. And namely to be in relationship with us is number one. And then that we be in relationship and love with one another. I think taking a moment to define what faith is as well is really important. I think because there's such a popular understanding of faith being uh, an intellectual ascent, knowing what's the, what the right answers are, that Jesus was God's son and he died for us. And if I say that I love him, then I get to go to heaven when I die. And that's not really faith. That's actually the opposite. That's a work. And to equate faith with trusting in the faithfulness of God. Like I know not to get Greek nerdy, but all this stuff about having faith in Jesus, especially at the end of verse 26, uh, from what I understand, the Greek in that could be, it's the possessive. And so is it our faith in Jesus or is it the, Je the faith of Jesus that justifies us, that says that we're right and good? And I don't think you can go up into the pulpit and make a big Greek lesson, but to carry that over into the preaching without showing your work is okay too. That it's primarily about the faithfulness of Jesus and trusting that Jesus actually is, that that's what saves us. So what do I do with my natural heart that hears that and says, well, that's a very passive experience. You know, I thought God wanted, was calling me to uh, action. I thought God was wanting me to live a certain way. I thought God had desire for how the world should work. And now God's just like passively saying, well, Jesus thinks you're good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, how do we connect the two? How do we connect God's desire for righteousness and justice with the faith of Jesus? I mean, and that that gets ahead to later on in the book when Paul says, well, what about should we just go on and sinning so that grace may abound? If 
you know, Jesus is just going to bring about forgiveness. So why not just live it up? And his response is, how can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Uh, if you really believe that you've been saved, the self-giving of God's own son and the grace and the mercy of that son and offering forgiveness, that all of that is good and saves you and has the power to save the world, then why would you act like it doesn't and it doesn't matter? What if I have a hard time with the intellectual ascent? Like you, you started your question with like, if you really believe, you know, well, and I got stuck there. Like, what if I have a hard time with the intellectual ascent? What if I have a hard time trusting that God, God would save me? What if I have a hard time trusting that I'm going to come down on the right side of judgment? I mean, that's like if this was a pastoral care situation, I would lean into the faithfulness of Jesus in that case. That it doesn't depend on it doesn't depend on our our saving, our forgiveness, our justification being declared right by God. It doesn't depend on us reciting the right formula, knowing the right things to believe. It doesn't depend on our feelings either. You don't need to feel on top of the world and all of that. But it depends on God and that faith and that trust to believe that God is good, that that's a gift. And also, I think that God is patient and God understands. It's not like you have your doubt and it's just gone. For that, I'd jump back over to Jeremiah and talk about how God says, look, and if you want to jump over to Psalm 46 as well as a good one, like all of creation could fall apart. Mountains could sink into the sea and God's faithful toward us wouldn't go away. And so if you have a little doubt and you're having a tough time because someone you loved has died or you're going through a tough time yourself and you're having trouble just trusting that God's going to see you through it, that's not enough. You know, yeah. uh, I don't know that there's anything that is enough to separate us from God's love. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but and, and I think of uh, since we just got done with this uh, yesterday, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost text where was it 18? It was something um, where in Timothy, you know, uh, if we are faithless, he is faithful um, for he cannot deny his own self. We are saved by grace through faith. And we say that over and over and over again. We're the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And sometimes I think more often than we realize that can feel like a huge weight instead of a life-giving gift mm. uh, for people who don't know if they believe, who people don't know if they're believing correctly, for people who look at their actions and say, how could I possibly believe if I'm still doing all these sinful things? And, and, and being able to lift up texts and moments like that where we can see, even in the midst of our faithlessness, God is faithful. Mm -hmm. That helps, that helps the point come across and us push, us push past this idea of we have to accept the gift correctly or we have to do something in order for it to be effective. We have to, I don't know, download it correctly. I don't know. Um, but but it, it, it pushes us into God's given a gift and this is just what God wants to happen. And so it's going to happen. 
You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing we can do uh, to negate the gift and to to stop God. Well, well shall we jump over to the gospel? Yeah, sounds good. Do you mind if I read this one as well? Yeah, please. Great. Uh, this gospel text comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham. I have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son of man, so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. <laughs> I love your first reaction to like every single one of these texts. It's just a hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, this one. So this one, I think I actually have something to say. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> um, so like a couple things here. One, this whole passage where the Jews who had believed in Jesus are they say to him that we are descendants of Abraham and never been slaves to anyone. So watch out for anti-Semitism because right. <laughs> yes, um, because this is portrayed as, oh, those Jews, they have such a bad memory. See, they forgot that they've been slaves and God yeah. freed them. They think it's their own work. The way I've read this is that this is a defiant declaration. The the Jews that Jesus is talking to, that Jesus is talking to, they're not stupid. Hmm. Every single year for the week of Passover, they gather together, recall, remember, embody the story of being set free from slavery in Egypt. It's in their bones you know it's part of the family it's a religious experience to talk about that it's who they are and so i don't think it's just oh but when we talk to jesus we forget about it instead i see it as a defiance to say that no we've never actually been enslaved the only person who we are beholden to the only thing that we're beholden to is god yeah nothing else enslaves us yeah which I think is like then, a beautiful declaration, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then what we see, though, is what Jesus does here is say, okay, take that same sort of defiance and don't just apply it to people. It's not just about saying we've not been enslaved by Egypt or Rome or the Seleucids or the Ptolemies or the whoever, 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 or the... Assyrians or the Babylonians and this long litany of people that have oppressed and controlled the Jewish people Mm -hmm. and say, you know, take that same defiance and apply it to sin itself. Apply it to the sin that's in your own life to say, you know what? How do you say that? You know what? We're not even ruled by sin. God is the only one that has any say in our lives. 
with the exception of that God seems to care about our sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think but it doesn't. Yeah. But sin doesn't rule us. I mean, to declare that you know God is the only one that you know quote unquote rules us. Mm-hmm. And and I think, man, I wish it were true, but I feel myself much more slave to sin. <laughs> like, like I mm-hmm. yeah. If if other people like exist in another place, that's great, and I hope I get there. But I I feel like a slave to sin more often than not. But I think you can apply the context of this passage to that feeling. Yeah. Because the right. Jews that say we've never been enslaved to anybody, they're under Roman occupation. Mm-hmm. So like the, the hard reality is like, yes, they are practically enslaved by the Roman Empire. They're the people in charge. But to have that defiance and say, you know what? All signs point to slavery, but we're not. In God, we know that we're not. And so to say, you know, all signs point to uh, the rule of sin, but even mm-hmm. so, we defiantly profess that we are not. This is not what rules the world and doesn't rule us. Yeah. So if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. Winds up sounding a lot more like what the Jews actually professed um, as they were following Jesus than it does like complete opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus just broadens it, makes it bigger. Yeah. To have a covenant that's been, man, pretty, pretty clear in who's included inside the covenant, you know, and it's been pretty clear for a while now um, to have someone walking around saying like, no, it's a lot bigger and <laughs> I know it, you don't, that feels rough at the very least you know Mm -hmm. i think one way to talk about that in a way that doesn't scapegoat jews is to say to point at ourselves and the ways that we feel that way either on a national basis or within our churches where we get uncomfortable and the uh, problematic ways that we react to that moment when our circle gets a little bit wider when new people come into the church and they start changing things when your neighborhood you know how is it usually put that uh the demographics have changed drastically um as some people say you know like you get uncomfortable by uh neighbors that aren't white like you anymore if you're um preaching to a majority white congregation um so I think that's one way to sort of look in the mirror before you look anywhere else. Yeah. And as far as verse 44, you are from your father, the devil, and you do, and you choose to do your father's desires. I would say that is similar to being a slave to sin, you know, like that's how I'm reading that, Mm -hmm. that passage is passage. And so I think that the, the thing that is tying them to sin there is not Judaism. It's their humanity in how they're reacting to, to things changing. I mean, we all have that tie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
what are the ways that we do that, that we serve sin and we serve the devil or yeah. what have you? I mean, like we pointed out in Romans and in Jeremiah, all fall short, you know, like all. So Jews mm -hmm. and non-Jews are, are falling short um, in these things. And so if we want to talk about anything, uh, any of these uh, issues uh, that come up in verse 37 and 44 and other places, it needs to be all inclusive, just like it was in everything else that we're reading. Mm -hmm. One other thing I have on this passage, I really like verses 35 and 36, this imagery of uh, the slave doesn't have a permanent place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. If the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Um, I think that can be a really good in as far as an appealing to people's hearts uh, what does it feel like to not have a place to call home either literally or metaphorically a place where you don't feel like you belong or a place where you don't feel like you can go to rest anything like that um, i saw a story pretty recently about a girl scout troop in new york city that specifically that is completely made up of uh, girls that are in the um, the homeless care system mm. in New York City uh, as they're trying to f transition into housing and such with their families uh, and just how powerful that is to give these girls a place to be themselves to establish uh, grounding relationships with other girls and with uh, adults, with the troop leaders, just really powerful, a powerful vision of what it could look like if our, if our churches were places where we can say, yeah, Christ made us free. This is his house and he's given us a home here. Mm. And see that. Yeah. I like that because it, it is so blatantly clear that Christ does make a home for for us and for all people. When I hear words like that, um, I I think of the the parts of me that I am still tied to that might not have a place um, in the gospel. So the ways that I don't always work for justice, and the ways that I continue to not seek the best for my neighbor, those things are a part of me and a part of what I'm doing. And they probably don't have a place, you know, in the kingdom of God. And if the son makes me free, I'm free. One thing I would add to our already long segment. Um, uh -huh. I am often disappointed in Reformation Day preaching and or Reformation Day uh, liturgy where it becomes a celebration of a historical moment, uh, mostly around Luther and stuff like that. Mm. I, I mean, in our propers and in our, uh, including the prayers in our lectionary texts and in, in all of it, there's not a mention of specific Luther and there's not a mention of only one moment in time. We're reformed in every age, like our prayer of the day uh, states, and all of our texts are coming from scripture, not, <laughs> not only uh, another place. And so I think, 
I think the theme of Reformation Day is the reforming of us, at least is what I'm gathering out of these texts, how we are being reformed, how we are being reshaped, and how the relationship between us and God is being reformed and being reshaped, and how that reforms and reshapes the world too. You know, Ben, that reminds me of a song. Nice. So I chose for my mixtape track the song Stand By Me by Ben E. King. Mm -hmm. And I chose that because I found out maybe about a year or two ago, and it kind of makes sense and you go duh when you find it out, that it was based off of Psalm 46. And I know we didn't look at Psalm 46 in our commentary today, um, but... If you are reading that, that's kind of a nice thing to bring up anyway. All those images about um, mountains falling into the sea and about sea waves and such raging uh, goes very well with Stand By Me. Hmm. Yeah. Ooh, and also, since we were talking about relationships so much, mm -hmm. I think that gets to maybe a fun thing to play with that stand by me uh, is often is written with the intent and has been understood as um, a song for a relationship, like usually a romantic thing, like I'm going to be with you always my love interest. And to think about that in terms of God wanting to be in relationship with us is nice. Yeah. Should crumble to the sea. I won't cry. I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. I don't remember the part of the song where he breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> the early that, version early versions early, got all that yeah <laughs> early edit yeah <laughs> um but i can really see a lot of the imagery in that song and that's kind of neat i didn't until you said i didn't really know the psalm 46 connection so that's kind of cool well um i selected uh, <laughs> i'm a little bit embarrassed about this but i selected uh somewhere i belong by lincoln park um, okay. Yeah. So my uh, my eye was caught by, and I'm, I think you can hear it throughout the podcast. But was kind of caught by um, uh, the ones who are following Jesus not having a place in His Word, and also just kind of the tension that I can feel um, in Old Covenant and New Covenant language in Jeremiah, and then in in Grace is a Gift in Romans, where a lot of people past and present, um, feel uncomfortable uh, with the newness and with the reforming acts that uh, Jesus is leading us through um, and God is leading us through. And so uh, in uh, Lincoln Park's song, uh, in the second verse, um, the singer says, uh, I've got nothing to say. I can't believe I didn't fall right down on my face, looking everywhere only to find it's not the way I had imagined it all in my mind. What do I have but negativity? Oh, 
I think something, um, I think sometimes reformation is rough and on a day where we're celebrating everything and, and, and joyous about everything to realize that a change in relationship and a change in expectation can really cause a lot of groaning and that is okay too. Mm. Yeah, I think that's good. I like that. Yeah. Well, well. That's going to do it for us at Lectionary Mixtape. Join us next week as we take a look at the readings assigned for All Saints Sunday. Thanks for joining our conversation, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>